0: Welcome to Canucks Corner, a podcast in which I, Aaron Lane, give you the skinny on what the Canucks have done recently, how they fared in a recent game, and what's next for the team in the week to come. The pregame show. This is the part of the podcast in which I let you know what the Canucks have done since the last podcast, where they sit in the standings, and any information I think you need to know. And the first thing I think you need to know is the fact that It is Tuesday, February 7th, and it's been a little while since I actually saw the game in question, and so we're going to just see how things go. There's also been a couple of interesting notes along the way that I would like to talk about as well. So, when we last saw the Canucks, it was just before the All-Star break. They had Colorado on Wednesday, the 25th, and... The Coyotes on Thursday the 26th and then the All-Star game on the weekend. On Wednesday the 25th it was a 3-2 win against Colorado which is what I said. At least I said the Canucks were going to win. So we had Sven Barchi opening the scoring from Horvat and Spisa in the first. In the second we had Granlund unassisted and that put us up The Avalanche came back and scored a goal by Rantanen, by Zadaroff and McKinnon, assisting. Then they tied it up in the third period with a goal by Nieto from Landeskog and Duchesne. Well, at that point, we figured, looks like we're heading overtime. But Sven Barchi, who opened the scoring, scores the third goal from Sedin and Sedin on a power play. So, in the end, we get that win, We don't even have to go to overtime. And things are looking good. Then we go in to play Phoenix. And that will be our feature game, actually. So I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. But it didn't go as expected, exactly. Then we had the All-Star game. I want to talk about that separately. So next is Thursday's game on February 2nd against San Jose in which the Canucks lost 4-1 to and really got outclassed by a team who was just ready to play when we weren't. Uh, Patrick Marleau scored, Tierney scored in the first period making it 2-0, and in the third period Brett Burns made it 3-0. We got a goal to make it close with uh, Philip Larson's first goal as a Canuck, and uh, with Gaunt and Dremkin making the assists. And Tierney scored again. Uh, power play goal with about five minutes left in the third to finish us off. So that wasn't great. Patrick Marleau got his 500th goal. And there's a couple of things you got to know about the Canucks. A lot of teams score their special goals against us for some reason. And if a guy hasn't scored for like a year and a half, that's the day he's not only going to score against the Canucks, but he's going to like score a hat trick. I don't know what it is. So so guys coming in on milestone nights and guys coming in who haven't scored in forever, those are the two guys you put money on to score against the Canucks that night because it, it seems to happen more often than I think it should. But there you go. That was that rough game against the Sharks. And then we had an even rougher game against Minnesota on Saturday, February 4th, uh, this last Saturday. Oh, boy. I'm glad I wasn't doing this one. Yeah, the Canucks just had nothing. They, 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 they weren't in this one at all, really. Granlin gets a hat trick. Uh, Riley scores to set things off. Sutter actually scores to tie from Hansen, but then Granlin gets the first of his three in the just before the end of the first period. Second period, four minutes in, he scores a shorthanded goal. Give a second goal. Horvat scores to tie. Yeah, it's two-two, but it's not. It's not an even game at this point. Larson gets the assist, and then Perise, Koivu score back-to-back, put us down four to four to two. Brandon Sutter again scores from Barty and Sedin Oh, if I didn't mention it, uh, Larson uh, assisted Horvat's goal, and that gave us the idea that we're still in it, four to three. But that, that brings us to the third period. And uh, wait, four to three, five to three, sorry. And then Granlin scores the hat trick about halfway through the third period from Zucker and Koivu. Just to uh, let us know that yeah, no, they, they they had it. But yeah, no, that was just one of those games where we were clearly playing this is our second game after the break, and yeah, it didn't really matter, I guess. When we lost 4-1 to against the Sharks, they said, oh, well, it's our first game after the break. We weren't ready. Sharks had had a game before, so they were good and ready. We had no excuses this game. We just were playing a team that was just a lot better. And they are in the standings. They're 34-12-5, and it's just, you know, we ran into a really tough team. And we, even though we were close in score for a while, we weren't close in play. And then actually uh, tonight we lost to Nashville 4-2. to and in that game, to give us three straight losses after the break. I watched a good chunk of this game. Granlin actually led off the scoring in the first period unassisted. Arvidsson scored to tie it up. Yarncrock went ahead uh, and got them ahead after, uh, just before the end of the first. No goals in the second. And then in the third period, Philip Forsberg gets credit for a goal. It's 2-1 to one for them. And he shoots it. It goes off Edler. And Markstrom puts his glove on the puck as it's crossing the line. It looks like his glove goes back, maybe over the line a bit, but then comes back over, the, you know, um, over the line again, like towards him. And the referee calls it no goal. Now, both uh, John Shorthouse and John Garrett, who were commentating the game, both said, "No, clearly there's no way you can overturn that because there would have to be concrete evidence that it was definitely a goal." and with Markstrom's glove over top of it, you could not see where the puck was. But then it was called a goal. The call was overturned, and, you know, the, no one knew what the heck had happened. And so apparently a, a few games ago, but another game completely, they had over, overturned a goal, or they had called a, this, this goal because they could see the puck in the goaltender's webbing, in his, the webbing of his glove. And the guys tonight said that must must have been the same thing that the NHL office had seen the puck in the webbing, and they showed a replay of it where, yeah, you could sort of see the puck in there, and, I mean, yeah, it's likely that the puck's going to be there anyway. But here's, here's, here's what bothers me. They needed absolute proof. Absolute. So there's no question. Had his glove gone over the line completely, there's no question that puck has to be under there, therefore the puck is also over the line completely. That was not the case in this case. Was the puck in the webbing? Was it exactly in the webbing so that it would be over the line? I don't know. I'm not going to get into it any further, but I was shocked that they made that call based on what I saw. And if they're going to start making calls like that, I'm just... To me, it goes against what they're trying to set up. To me, that's a judgment call. That's, you know what? I can see what looks to be the puck in the webbing, so therefore... It looks like the puck is completely over the line. And that's the thing. It has to be completely over the line. So I don't know. I, I, it shouldn't be a judgment call. It hasn't been set up to be a judgment call. And yet that's exactly what it looked like tonight. And so that's their fourth goal. Or the third goal, rather, on the power play. Edler scores to make it close again. 3-2, to two, which would have been a tying goal instead of a goal to get them close. From Horvat and Hutton. And then Mike Fisher scores uh, the goal into the empty net to make it 4-2. to So, ugh, frustrating game. Canucks were in it. They, they looked all right. And then got judgmented out on that goal. And that really put them back. So anyway, there you go. That was, that's the Canucks since we last talked. And so that's one win and three losses in our feature game. That puts them in a rough place for the standings. Let's look at those standings the Minnesota Wild, Chicago Blackhawks and Nashville Predators holding down the spots from the central top 3 from the central 75 69 and 60. The Pacific top 3 are San Jose, Edmonton or San Jose, Anaheim and Edmonton at 70 66 and 66. That means 60 is the lowest point total Nashville of the top 3 guys and then we got St. Louis and Calgary right now holding down the 59 points wildcard spots so 59 and 59 just outside of that los angeles is holding it in at 58 just outside the uh the wildcard spots and then you step right down to winnipeg at 54 and vancouver at 52 hey seven points out of a wildcard at this point it was easy to say a few games ago before the the All-Star game that, you know, we were right close. We were within a point or two of the wild card, and you never know how things go, but it's always a dogfight. You always want to be either in that wild card position or just right behind by a point or two because there's a lot of three-point games. There's a lot of of teams there getting points off of each other, going into the stretch run, and if you aren't right there, if you're only a few points behind, it is like you have to go and win nine out of your last 10 and not give other teams points along the way and stuff like that. So, whew, being being 7 points out at this point, you're coming up to the trade trade deadline as a seller. I mean, that's that's really how it goes. It's not that you can't get into the playoffs, it's just that the likelihood at that point really puts you out and you can't you can't pass up a deal to strengthen your team. Significantly, from this point on, you, you know, on that hope that we squeak into the playoffs after an amazing run in the last few games and then get knocked out in the first round, right? You know, it's like you really have to play the odds and you have to pay attention to the future and not just the chance at the present, as slim as that chance may be. So, yeah, at this point, I think it's time to, to change the tune a little bit and talk talk about perhaps looking ahead to next year and the year following. And like I said, from the very beginning, we weren't necessarily looking at the playoffs this year anyway. And it was fun for a while to, you know, be right up in it. But now you have to take a look at it. I mean, even if the Canucks win the next three or four games, well, other teams are going to win too. And we're talking Los Angeles, Calgary, St. Louis, all six or seven points ahead of us. So, yeah, no, it's just you have to be realistic. And being realistic at this point means okay, you know what, let's let's get what we can at the trade deadline for whomever we can, and then work on work on developing our talent and work on next year. And Somewhere along the line, we will make the playoffs. Those players like Bo Horvat and Sven Barchi, they'll get their shot at showing what they can do and learning what it takes to, to win in the playoffs. But until then, just keep strengthening the team, keep drafting good players, and keep making good deals that will lead towards a brighter future. So I think that's where we are at this point. Now that said... So I want to talk about the All-Star Game. First there was the Top 100, and I thought that was marvelous. I think they, that was done really well. They had this little award ceremony type thing where they got them on stage and everything, and ooh, some of those guys were looking pretty old. But some of those guys are pretty old, <laughs> to be honest. I think back to the 1980s, right, as my as my time. And I got to realize, when I was cheering on those players in the 1980s they were 10 15 20 years older than I was so that would mean they're 10 15 20 years older than I am now so Billy Smith came out and he was gray as a grandpa and you know walking a little bit careful and everything and I'm like wow and most of those guys had gray hair and all this sort of stuff and and I looked and went hmm yeah no that that they'd be they'd be that old it's 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 fair so anyway I let that slide and I was just enthralled by all the great players that were there and they had this uh this talk between they had Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and Bobby Orr it was really nice to see those guys just all talking with each other and enjoying each other's company and telling stories that was really cool and then seeing them all line up on the ice to have this ceremonial face off later before the it was actually before the actual games on Sunday and that was really neat It even really got to the players themselves. There were a couple of quotes later that just said that was the key moment for a lot of these NHLers. They're standing across from legends and I forget who it was but I think it was Drew Doughty. They dropped the ceremonial puck and Drew Doughty got to pick it up and he turns to the handler and you know the gopher or whatever and says now keep this for me. Be careful. It it was Bobby Orr's (laughs) right so it's He got to face off against Bobby Orr for the ceremonial face-off. So he's like, ooh, you know, that's special to him, right? And for a defenseman like uh, Doughty, that makes sense. Anywho, so they had the skills competition as well. And that, just like every other year, turns out to be really good. Some of the skills that they've got them doing now are actually really challenging. And you can see that in the players getting a little bit more nervous or a little bit more, they can't... They're showing their nerves, right? Where they're they're not shooting like they normally shoot or they're not making plays like they normally make because of all that pressure. And there's this one part where you have to... One player has to stand at the red line against the boards and saucer the puck over top of a small barrier on the ice in front of them. And they have to saucer it over and and get it all the way down about... mm, I don't know, say 20 feet away or something into this little tiny net that's only, like, about two puck lengths wide and a puck length tall. And they have to nail that. And then they have to nail one even further away and a little bit... And then on the other side of center do, you know, the mirrored two other ones. So four times they have to get into these little tiny nets after saucering it over a barrier. And man, some guys are having trouble with that one. Which is completely understandable. It looks really, really hard. Anyway, and then they they had, you know, fastest skater, and Arbo Horvat was up against Lane, and Lane goes ahead and wins. Way to go, Lane. <laughs> Such a winner, that last name does it for you. Okay, I, I can call him Line A every once in a while, I suppose, but anyway. But, tough one, Bo. I mean, you you, you went well. You're, you're a quick guy, but Line A has it over top you, I guess, in this particular situation. And then, Crosby I think wins the the uh, shooting accuracy competition, but still significantly behind Daniel's record setting, I guess, uh, 7 seconds some odd. I think Crosby did it in like 10. But it just goes to show you how quickly Daniel did it at that time. And then the next thing of note that I recall is the long shot competition. Where they're trying to, you know, like when you're in school and they put up that plywood, plywood goaltender up into the net. And they've got a little hole for, you know, for his five hole and hole in the sides and the corners, right, basically. Well, they did the same thing, except for the guys that were shooting from the the close blue line only had the top two corners to shoot at. And then they got points for that. And then they took, each player took two shots. And then they had the guys from center shoot, uh, and they had the top corners and the bottom corners. And this time, more points for the top corners and less points for the bottom corners, And Brent Burns went ahead and roofed a shot into one of the top corners. And he was very happy about it. (laughs) And he should have been because it was an awesome shot. And then from the opposite blue line, I don't think anyone scored from there. Because they include the 5-hole this time. Not because, but they included the 5-hole as well. And yeah, nobody scored from that one. And they went all the way down to the opposing goal line. And you could take your two shots... Or you could give up your second shot to your goaltender. And if your goaltender on your team, or one of your goaltenders obviously, uh took the shot and scored, they get double points. So you get like twenty points instead of ten. And I forget who was up before, but they went and they missed, and then it got to be Bill Horvat's turn. And he got up and he shot, and he just missed, I think, by about a foot or so. And then he points to Mike Smith, Arizona's goaltender, which was his you know, one of his goaltenders for the game. And so Mike Smith comes up, and he's known for for being a pretty good shot. In fact, he was the goaltender at the All-Star game that had scored most recently. And so he got, he got behind the puck there, and he just heaved her. And it landed uh, just before center or so, just after the blue line, or before center. It must have been about five feet wide. And then as soon as it landed, it started curling <laughs> towards the goal. And it just spun and spun and spun as it went down. And he swished a perfect five hole. It just, it didn't hit either side of it. It just went right in in the middle. And it was like on the button. Hurry hard! You know, <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. It was it was just a great shot. And the look on his face and everyone's face, they just couldn't believe it. And so, yeah, it was a great thing. Anyway, so that was the highlight. And in the end, they had the shootouts. And the only highlight for that really was Ryan Kessler's son, got to take a shot for Ryan Kessler and Carey Price had been like stopping everybody and so had Tuka Rask and so I knew this might might be Pacific's only goal at this point and sure enough, Carey kind of flubbed the movement a bit and opened his legs a bit too early and the kid goes, and the kid's probably, oh shoot I'd say, what, like eight years old the kid goes ahead and makes one move backhand the forehand and fires it between Carey's legs and it was a sweet goal. And he even falls down afterwards, gets himself up with this big smile on his face as he's beat the, you know, amazing goaltender Carrie Price on the breakaway. And so that was awesome. And then as he come back, everybody gave him bumps, fist bumps along the way, except for his dad, who was <laughs> who was uh taking video of the whole thing on his phone. But uh but yeah, no, that was uh that was really cool. So in the end the Atlantic ended up winning which kind of foiled my plans of the Atlantic not doing so well, sort of. And they got to choose when they played and who they played against. And so they chose to play against the Metropolitan Division um, in the second game, which people were kind of surprised about. They thought, well, maybe you'd want to play the first game so that you'd have that break. And they said, no, we want to just go back to back and just get it over with sort of thing. Kind of like, you know, be already playing and not have to wait around. So... All right, and they weren't going to play us or anything, so okay, we didn't have to face Price and, and Rask. That was nice. So the next day, the All-Star game, Bo Horvat ends up on a line with Johnny Goudreau and Cam Fowler, I believe, from the Ducks, and Goudreau, of course, from the Flames. And boy, Goudreau... Goudreau's one of these players that he's a small, skilled player, and when these guys aren't playing, <laughs> like they aren't hitting, they aren't they aren't checking, obviously this guy's going to have a field day. And he did. He and Bo just went at her, and they had a really good game. They, uh, I think Bo got a goal and a couple of assists. He looked really good. And Goudreau, I think, got three goals. I can't recall, but it was uh, pretty good on his part, too. But the key to this game was that there were, all the games were two 10-minute per- periods. And the key to this game was the Central just weren't really... They hadn't got the memo. <laughs> it was it was like they were still in that in that all-star game fun mode and they didn't really care like they were out there the same as all all-star games now the winner of this all-star game the winning team like 11 players got to split 1 million dollars which isn't a huge deal for those guys of course cuz they make millions every year but still it's something right and and there was a certain amount of pride on the line as well it's interesting because it comes down to it comes down to the pacific pushing harder at the beginning and so they get out of the first period leading like five to one, and that's great. I, I'm happy anyway because I thought the central was going to take it all. If you remember, and then the second period, the their coach I think it was Claude Julien actually, Boudreaux, maybe. Anyway, the coach said, "Yeah, you know what? I'd like to see them try. <laughs> you know, try harder, right? I'd, I'd like to because he doesn't. Really, you know, his he's saying he doesn't really do anything as coach except for trying to motivate his players in this particular All Star game. So in the second period." Suban comes out and scores a really nice goal right off the bat, and it looks like they're looks like the game is on, and both teams are paying a little bit more attention. But nothing really, because again, the at this point the the game is sort of out of hand anyway. As we get our sixth and seventh goals, and it ends up ten to three. So yeah, at this point we've really we've put it together pretty well, and we've gotten as serious as we're going to get. They got as serious as they were going to get, but in the end because we're a bit more focused and serious early we end up doing well and line A fails to score at all i believe he i know he got like five or six opportunities to score and he was just snake bitten and he couldn't really get off a good shot or he got off a good shot and it was it was saved or whatever but yeah it was not a good first all-star game for line A unfortunately i have to say unfortunately Anyway, so there there that game went. So the next game, both teams knew right away that they had to give it a little bit harder from the get-go. And so both the Atlantic and the Metropolitan start off pretty hard. And by the second period, you got Alexander Ovechkin not only back-checking, but blocking a shot from the point. You've got their, uh, the Metropolitan goaltender diving to make uh, a glove save against Marchand. From coming from the corner all the way across the front of the net. And then Marchand goes to put it into the empty net. But bam, there's the... Oat shoots the glove, and a big save. So in the end, both teams played really hard. And it was tied in that second period even, if I remember correctly. But the Metropolitan team ends up winning. To be fair, it was it was a bit less tight in the first period. But yeah, by that second period, they were playing hockey. Like it was three-on-three three positional hockey. There wasn't checks, although at one point, I think somebody pushed somebody over on purpose. (laughs) So, but it was as close as you could get. Guys were, there was two men back all the time. There was, like I said, positional play. There was people pushing other people out and allowing the goaltender to see the puck. You know, there was back checking. It was, was, I, I think, as real as it would get. So sure enough, by that, By the final game between the Metropolitan team and the Pacific team, both teams were ready to play. And it was a good game from the, you know, good start from the get-go. But it's Crosby, it's Ovechkin, right? And not that they were necessarily the stars of it all, but but it was just a good, they had a good lineup all the way through. And in the end, they end up winning. Although, although Bo Horvat again, I believe he at least scores one goal or gets an assist, and he ends up on the day with two goals and two assists, which... If I'm not mistaken, is the Canuck with the highest amount of points in any All-Star game? As far as I can remember. So, good on him for doing that. So, you know, Lion A may not have had a great game. My namesake. Poor showing for his first All-Star game, unfortunately. But, Bo Horvat, great showing on his All-Star game debut. So, there we go. So, yeah, I was pretty happy with that. It was really neat to see the game progress quickly through those those few games to the point where that third game was pretty much tight all the way through. I felt it was really entertaining. So, uh, how many All-Star games can I say that about? Mm, since, like, 1989? <laughs> I uh, One or two All-Star games, maybe? I think the first world game may have been interesting. That's it for that game. And there's only one more thing I, I can say, and that is... I'm a sports guy. And so, we just had Super Bowl Sunday. Give it to Canucks and all the hockey here, all the time, except for every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll throw in something that just has caught my attention. And this time it was the Super Bowl. And so you can skip ahead if you like, if you don't want to hear this, if you're a total hockey person. But I'm going to take just a few minutes to go ahead and talk about that. It was the Patriots against the Atlanta Falcons, New England Patriots, Atlanta Falcons. It was a chance for Tom Brady to win his fifth Super Bowl, which would be a record for quarterbacks, so that was on the line. And of course whether or not he would then be considered the best quarterback of all time. And then you had the Atlanta Falcons who had Julio Jones and had Matt Ryan who were good young players that should you know, that's all that's really missing from their resume is this Super Bowl win to be considered among the greats. So there was a lot of a lot of pull from their side to really to do a good job and to come out winners, despite facing the juggernaut that is the Patriots. Now, for those who don't know a lot about football, the Patriots are... uh, Well, I just called them a juggernaut. Of the last, you know, several years, certainly Tom Brady's years, but even before that, to some extent, they've been, like the Montreal Canadians were in in the 1970s, or before that, you know, the Rocket Richard days. They're a team filled with Hall of Fame players. They're coached by Hall of Fame coach they are the, the New York Yankees right it's like they are the favorite as soon as they step onto the field sort of thing it's no matter what the situation is you kind of you you, you, you kind of know that the Patriots will probably win no matter what you know oh they're they're down their their best wide receiver that's nah, fine they don't got a good running back that's nah, fine whatever they don't. They don't have Tom Brady as quarterback. That that's fine. They'll figure it out. <laughs> it's it's almost like that. It's it's. I mean, it it was ah, unbelievable. So we come to this Super Bowl, and really, what's going to happen is Tom Brady and his boys. And by the way, his tight end, his top receiver, was out. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, and he couldn't play. And he is a huge force to be reckoned with. He's very much like um, like if. If Tom Brady is is the unstoppable goaltender, you know that you can't score on. Gronkowski is that unstoppable power winger that will just go ahead and score whenever he feels like it, sort of thing. So losing that, okay. Tom Brady still had to do his thing, but we figured, okay, well they would get ahead twenty-one nothing or whatever, and then eventually they'd win thirty-five or thirty-eight to thirteen or something like that. Boy, were we wrong. And by we, I mean, like, everybody who watches football <laughs> on a regular basis. The, uh, the other year, uh, Seattle goes into Denver and just destroys them from the opening kickoff sort of thing. And same sort of thing happens here as everything goes against the Patriots to start with and for the uh, the Falcons. And all of a sudden, the Falcons find themselves up 28-3. to 3. It's over. 28 to 3. No no team has ever come back from 14 point deficit. They're sitting on a 25 point deficit and it's just like it's not even up for discussion. It, it it's done. They're putting the names on the trophy or whatever in a whole thing and it's it's you know they got the all the hats and the t-shirts ready to go and it's done. It's it's a done deal. 25 points. Nobody in the history of the NFL playoffs much less Super Bowl has ever come back from 25 points. So I'm watching the the game with my boy Aiden, and my boy Aiden is awesome, but he doesn't know a lot about football. And so the Patriots score, and he's asked me what team we we're cheering for, and I said the Falcons, because gotta love an underdog, right? Canucks fan, what can you do? So, <laughs> so the so they're still up by 19 points at this point, right? And I, and I turned to my, oh, cause they, yeah, they scored a touchdown. Then they, then they knocked it off the post, the extra point off the post and out. So yeah, it was six points, six points, you know, from the 25 to to 19. So I, I said, oh, you know, it's okay. And he says, so is there anything the other team can do to tie the game in one play in one score? And I said, oh no, no, no. They'd actually have to get a touchdown, a two point conversion, another touchdown, another two point conversion and a field goal just to tie the game. so I was I was just telling them how unfathomable like this, it's inconceivable that they could do this to tie the game, much less win it in, in overtime after a tie. so no just 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 son, it's gonna be okay. it'll be fine <laughs> Oh so those who know what happened with the game, um, yeah, so you know, so I didn't get it quite perfectly correct The uh, They they kicked the field goal first And then they scored the touchdown And got the two point conversion And then scored the other touchdown And got the other two point conversion I, 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 I don't know I <sighs> There's a lot to be said And not to be said about momentum There's a lot to be said And not to be said about aura But whatever you want to say about those two things Those were in play on Sunday you can you can say, no, the, the, there's just the, there's just football. There's no such thing as momentum. You can't carry things from play to play to, to down to down, you know, to possession to possession. It, it, it doesn't work that way. I've heard this argument. But this is what happened on Sunday. No matter what the Falcons did, no matter what defense they put out there, no matter what offense did, Tom Brady was asked at the end of the game, how, what was the one play? Because there's always one play that turns the game like this, if there's a game like this one play that turns it that without that play it never would have happened and tom brady said one play he says there were 30 plays he said that that there was 30 plays that if any of them if any of them had gone the other way we wouldn't have won and 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 that sums it up perfectly it was 30 coin flips in a row that the patriots won like for reals that that that's that's the type of odds that we're dealing with here 30 coin flips in a row that the patriots won it's not impossible it's it's not even inconceivable (laughs) you know it's statistically possible but so unlikely so improbable that nobody nobody would have would have i mean just what no and yet we saw it happen and this is what is amazing about sports yogi Berra once said it ain't over till it's over and I think out of all the lines I've heard about sports, that's the one that keeps being driven home the most. As a lifelong sports fan, the Canucks might look like they're out of the playoffs, but I'll never count them out until it's over. You know, I'll, I'll say realistically this is the situation, but I'll never say, or at least I'll know in my heart, I'll never I'll never mean to say that they're out when they aren't. Because of sports. Because I know that crazy stuff happens in sports, like what happened on Super Bowl Sunday. My dad said the most important play was the overtime coin flip. Because had Atlanta won that, who knows? I mean, you know, we could have figured that they'd go three and out, and you know, the way that game was going. But who knows? Maybe they would have been the ones to put together the amazing drive, and Matty Ice goes ahead and runs the team all the way down the field for an amazing touchdown. Maybe. Maybe that becomes the drive that that is the keystone to his entire career. But that coin flip goes the other way. And the Patriots get it. And as soon as the Patriots win that coin flip, you know. All this, these 30 coin flips previously, haven't all gone the Patriots way for this coin flip not to go their way. This actual coin flip, right? The 30 metaphorical coin flips that happened. All these plays that led to this point because the patriots are going to go into this this overtime going for the kill knowing that they've they know that they've made it this far and they have to win and that's the thing the falcons know it too and this is what gets you the falcons are scared and they're worried and they're afraid and in that fear they lose right and that's the head game that these, that sports is a lot of times it's this head game where it's it's 90% skill and the other half is confidence to misquote another yogi bearism, at least one attributed to him. So, and it's that other half that's confidence that that really defines champions. And oh boy, Tom Brady has it in spades. So does his, his whole team and his coach. And you know what? I had to uh, just what can you do? They did something historic. Not only, <laughs> I mean, it's like never mind fourteen points down that no team had ever done in the Super Bowl. Twenty-five points down, right? Not, not the minimum, but something even more ridiculous. Something even more inconceivable. And they do it anyway. So is Tom Brady the best quarterback that ever lived? No, he's not. Joe Montana still kicks his butt. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe will always be my guy. But I'm going to go with the, the best quarterback of his era. I'm going to go with that one. Who knows what kind of quarterback he would have been in Joe Montana's time or in... Staubach's time, Namath's time, and it's the same thing with the top hockey players. How would Crosby had done in the 80s during Gretzky's time, or during Gordie Howe's peak years, right? How would how many points would have Gretzky scored during the early 2000s when we had that sort of dead puck era, that clutch and grab trap era? So it's really hard to compare eras, and I don't think, and I I mean. Tom Brady is one of the best. There's no question. But I don't think he's the best any more than I think any more than I think that Wayne Gretzky's better than than Gordie Howe. It's just I don't think he can I, th- I don't think he can make that call. Anyways, that's what I thought of the Super Bowl, an incredible historic game. Give it to the Patriots. I thought the kissing of the trophy after the f- fact, you know, during the presentation thing was weird. <laughs> I I don't know what to think about that, but I'm going with weird. Makes me a bit uncomfortable. (laughs) But, you know, there you go. Anyhow, that's me on the Super Bowl. So, welcome back to Canucks Corner when we go back to talking about the Canucks. And next up, game time. Game time. This is a part of the podcast in which I talk about a specific Canucks game and dissect some of the finer points. Today's game is between the Vancouver Canucks and the Arizona Coyotes on January 26th, 2017. It was a warm day in Phoenix as the Canucks rolled in, knowing they had just the last game before their nice break for the All-Star game. They were ready to play one of the worst teams in the NHL knowing, how hard could it be? They've been beat so often, we've beat them before, it can't possibly be that difficult. I'm here to say, fans. It was. Huh. So here we go Canucks and Arizona. First period. We have Granlund to Megna to Sutter. Shoots. Ooh, just misses the net. Very nice play between the three of them. Showed some chemistry between those three guys, which I think is awesome. Throwing a guy like Megna, well, f- for Granlund for that matter, with a guy like Sutter, who's just on top of his game right now is definitely going to help their development. But no goal. Then Bo Horvat gets out there, gets a puck in front of Burroughs. He shoots. No, he just lost control of the puck, and the puck goes wide. If he would have had a shot, mm, probably would have been saved anyway because he was really tight in on the net. And then the Coyotes come back. Reader comes in. Ooh, he takes shot. Ooh, he's got a rebound. Look at that. And Miller plays a Dominic Hasek. And on his back swims around like a wild man and makes a beautiful save well okay no no I'm not gonna say beautiful I am going to say great save off of reader I'm gonna borrow it from Jim Houston, and go ahead and say great save yeah no that was that was a, a Dom Hasek if I ever seen one and and being that uh, he was at the all-star game this you know that weekend yeah uh, I'll go with that one so things are going pretty well we're getting some offensive chances goaltenders on this game. Horvat gets back in into the offensive zone, gets up against the boards, pushing around, he's showing his strength, but not quite strong enough to get off of the the boards when he's pinned up against the boards to a coyote who has lost his stick and just decides to use both hands to shove and hold Horvat up against the boards. Which some might suggest is holding or something along those lines. But no. The referee is just like, oh, okay, he lost his stick. What else is he going to do? He just, "Eh, it's it's fine. It's fine. (sighs) Anyway, but that, that starts to become a trend. And in the rest of the first period, the Yotes are winning those board battles. And the Canucks just are coming up short. They're, the Canucks are getting some shots, but they're not hitting net with them. They're missing the net. They're getting them blocked. They're making passes when they should shoot. It doesn't go very well. And in the end, though it's still 0-0, at the end of the first period, the Canucks have another 0. Zero shots on net. Yikes. So that's not so good. Second period. Horvat is right in front of the net. And he shoots high. We're having trouble getting shots on net. And he decides to try to pick a corner. uh uh-huh. Okay. And my note here is just finally, shoot on net. Dang it. <laughs> it... I've got this thing about shooting anyway. And shooting towards the net is always a good thing. Okay, not always, but almost always a good thing. As we'll note sometime shortly here. But, oh my goodness, how many shots do professional players get where... They get they get it on net. And it's just it's not on net. They shoot it towards the net and it misses and it misses and it misses. And the Canucks in this game just did way too much of that. And you lose those chances of getting rebounds, you lose those chances of deflections, and you just, it's like your percentage goes from, it goes from 20% to score to 2%, and that 18% is huge. It's a difference between, you know, wins and losses. It's a difference between wins and losses in these types of games. Anyway, at 12.50, Miller makes a huge save on Reader, again, off of an Edler giveaway. So, Edler shows that he's, you know, not perfect. But that's how it goes. So, and then the Coyotes start getting all sorts of pressure. Again, winning the battles on the boards. And next thing you know, Horvat ha- ends up taking a tripping penalty. I was going to say had to take tripping penalty, but obviously he didn't have to. Nevertheless, too much pressure, and that's the result. But thank goodness that the Coyotes couldn't, you know, shoot on net either. Because on their power play, they took like four shots and they all missed. So yeah, it's weird. You get two teams that aren't very good together going into the the all-star game break. And yeah. But finally, the Sedins and Horvat get a chance just after the penalty kill. Edler gets a slap pass to Sedin, and Smith has to make this great save. So, he gave it a good shot. And what happens after they make a great save? Oh, that's right. The Yotes get a goal. Uh, Cruz, his first in 19 games. (laughs) What can I tell you? This is what happens. You guys haven't scored in a while. Come play the Canucks. You'll score lots. It'll be good. You've got a milestone goal to score. Just come play the Canucks. You'll get it done. it will be great. Sidney Crosby's a couple of points away from. He was three points away from his thousandth going into Calgary, and I was and I was like, yeah, if he was playing Vancouver, he'd get all three. <laughs> in fact, he'd probably. In fact, he'd probably get four. But, you know, let's no, let's not go down that road. We're all right. Anywho. On the out goal by Cruz, uh, Sketcher had an opportunity to get it out and couldn't. Rough, rough situation for for Stetcher. Stetcher had an opportunity to get it out on the goal, on the out goal. Stetcher had an opportunity to get it out, just couldn't get it out. Rough for the young guy, but that'll happen sometimes, even in not young guys. And then the Canucks have one of their best shifts of the year. They spend like two and a half, three minutes solid in the Coyote zone. And they get it around and move it around and they tire out the the guys so much that the Coyotes can hardly even... Like the puck came out for a little bit, but the Coyotes couldn't even make a line change. And the Canucks brought it back in. And then they kept playing and kept trying to score. And then Burroughs gets it on the boards. You know in that position, side boards down about halfway or a little bit further that I've talked about before, that the Canucks for some reason like taking shots from... And then hits the glass behind the net and just goes flying out of the zone. Yeah, that shot. And that place. He takes a shot from there and guess what happens? It misses the net. It hits the back glass and goes around out of the zone. And all the way down the ice and get guess what happens? Oh, yes. All the coyotes get to limp to the bench and get their line change and come back on and it's all over. <laughs> oh, much anger. <laughs> Dang it, man. Can't... Uh, the one shot that I don't like the Canucks taking. And and yeah, and there it is. Anyway, that was the second period. So one nothing Yotes at the end of the second period. And the Canucks actually got 12 shots on goal, tied the Yotes. So they're actually only down on shots on goal, 18-12 to at that point. So, I mean, that's... Now at the end of the second period, things are looking reasonable as far as that goes. But they're still down by one. All right, third period. Barchi uh, is careless with a stick. Ends up taking a double minor for high sticking. I think it, um, it, he made someone bleed, I think. And it was from behind in the whole thing. And so the Canucks got to kill off two penalties. At one point, Erickson fans on the puck and then makes it out on a second try, luckily. And unfortunately, Miller loses it to his right. Uh, Chaput tries to clear the puck lamely. And it goes right to... Yeah, it goes to Burmistrov, who... Yeah, he hasn't had a goal in like 82 games or something ridiculous, I bet, an entire year. Guess who gets the goal? Yes, it's him. Sixty minutes remaining in the third. And it's 2 nothing, And two guys who haven't scored in forever get a chance to score. I do note, after this, do you have to break a stick to get a slashing penalty? Apparently, Sedin was carrying the puck and... Some dudes slashed him really hard twice. And it, and it bothers me because, I mean, I kind of say it almost sarcastically here, but in truth, slashing is slashing. It's a penalty. Whether you slash someone's leg or slash their stick, it's a penalty. It's on the books. You don't have to break a stick to get the penalty. But because these sticks break so often, they they start using that as a barometer, And they're like, well, unless it breaks a stick, obviously it wasn't a hard enough slash to really be called a slash. And as soon as the referees have that in their mind, it's a joke. That is not the way the rules go. It's like they want to have this shorthand where they don't actually have to make decisions. Sorry, that's my frustration. They have the shorthand so that they can be consistent, right? So that they can all be... Well, no matter where you go in the NHL, unless it breaks the stick, the slashing is not going to be called. And that's garbage. They're professional people. Allow them to make professional decisions. Allow them to use their judgment in these cases where it's in the rule book that says if there's this slash that happens, they get to decide whether or not it's a penalty. And generally, it has to do with how hard the slash is. If you're using a slashing motion, you just tap a player, then yeah, that's not a slash. So at some point, you have to hit them hard enough or with a certain malice even. I've seen slashing calls made on slashes that missed the player, simply because the referee determined there was enough malice behind the action that the player was just lucky to not get hit by it, but regardless, deserves a penalty. And yet now we have this, like, opposite situation where, oh, yeah, well, it's got to break his stick to be considered hard enough to actually matter. Now, Mario Mew, back when he retired the first time, one of the things he noted was that his his wrists were, were being slashed so badly that he was worried that his wrists were going to be broken and he'd never be able to use his hands properly again. Like, that's how hard these guys slash and and when you're breaking a guy's stick yeah, you're slashing that hard to break bones break wrist bones and if you don't break the stick you could still be slashing that hard it just didn't happen to break the stick that time so the referees have to look at this and go oh, you know what, it didn't break the stick but man, he really gave it to him that could have really hurt him no, two minutes for, you know almost ending that guy's career you know, almost handicapping him for life yeah, two minutes, you know. It, that's the least, the least that they could do. Anyway, that's my rant on slashing. I had to do something in this game. Anyways, Chapoo, stick breaks on a good opportunity. LeSai. Trampkin <laughs> nails Doan hard, which is great because I, I got a lot of respect for Doan. And he's a big, tough player. And for Trampkin to mow this guy down... I mean obviously he didn't really just crush him, but he hit him solid. He he served notice. And that was cool. I just enjoyed that. I have a note that the Canucks aren't winning faceoffs at this point, which is causing even more problems. Granlin and Menga end up running into each other, which at this point is typical for the situation. The passes aren't tape to tape coming out of the zone. It's it so it, it always tends up ends up being it tends to be this just like in the Super Bowl where there was 30 things that went right for them occasionally and then on the Falcons' side it was 30 things that didn't go right but you know with the Canucks it's three or four things or 14 or 20 things that go wrong in a row to really lead to these types of defeats right and I started seeing this in the third period. Stetcher shoots, shoots again, loses the puck, Chases the guy down, steals it back, shoots again. Have I mentioned to you how much I love Stetcher? <laughs> this kid, I, we got, we got to keep him. I know, I know, we have this tendency of, you know, okay, he doesn't have a bunch of goals. Let's, let's send him off to somewhere else. But man, this kid, we got, to, we got to keep him anyway. Burroughs isn't having a great shot either. Uh, great game, but he did at least get a good shot. Four forty remaining in the game. Magna from Sutter Gutsy play by Sutter Gets it to Manga and Manga has a good shot But again, no goal In the last couple of minutes Horvat gets a shot block And um That's about it So Tobias Reeder The guy who got those two good early chances Scores With 30, 34 seconds left So Verbada, Yeah that verbata gets an assist on that, as does Hansel. So, yeah, 3 nothing is what it ends up being. It could have been 6 nothing and whatever it did. It. The Canucks weren't in this game, and by the time they they sort of got themselves together, they just had those things go wrong one after another. Nothing really pulled together for them. And the few shots that they did, did get and the few chances that they did get well, Mike Smith's an awesome goaltender. Uh, we've seen that so far this year. We see it, you know, from the All Star Game, like that. You know, that's a big deal. But no, I mean it's no. I mean he's he's a, he's a good goaltender, and so he goes ahead and just shuts us out, and that was just going to be that day. So I was right. It was three nothing, just like I said. See, I'm right. Just the wrong team, but you know, I, I had the numbers right. You can, yeah. It, and that's kind of... that. You'll you'll realize that that's what I'm all about. I'm all about being sort of right. So there we go. That's what we had. That, that was our game of the week. There it is. Now on to other things. The post-game show. This is the part of the podcast in which I tell you how the Canucks are going to do in the next few days. Well, not how they're going to do necessarily, but who they're going to play. And then I give you an idea of How many points I think they'll get out of those games. So here we go. They have, on Thursday, a couple days from now, it doesn't get easier. They get to visit Columbus, who's 34-13-5. Canucks are now 23-24-6, under five hundred for the first time in a while. And yeah, that that doesn't look like a win. But you never know, like Yogi Berra says... Never over till it's over, so can never quite say. But anyway, Columbus is a decent team doing a, having a decent season. And then the Bruins, who aren't having the greatest time of it all. Like I said, they just fired their coach. Who knows? Maybe we can jump on them on Saturday, February 11th, and actually get a win. You know what? I'm going to say that that's what's going to happen. We're going to get that win on Saturday. It's uh, at Boston at 10 a.m pacific time so set your alarm for that one if you want to see the canucks get their two points for the week <laughs> and then as it often goes we are off to buffalo and we will see the sabers who've got a pretty similar record to us and that would be on sunday the next day at on february 12th at four thirty. so we don't get back-to-back morning games but we're not very good at morning games so I don't know whether that Boston thing is going to work out, but I'm going there anyway. In fact, I'm going to say 3-2. to 3-2 to two in regular time. 3-2 to two in regulation time. That's what I'm going to say. Against Boston. Against Buffalo, I'm going to say it's close, but in the end, they get us. Maybe 3-1 to one with an empty net goal or something like that. And then let's bring it all the way to Valentine's Day, February 14th, where we're in Pittsburgh. Now... This I may make my game of the week. Because I don't think I want to get up at 10 o'clock on Saturday. (laughs) And yeah, I think we'll end up watching this. Because Pittsburgh is my son's favorite team, apparently. And it's in Pittsburgh. So it's at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday. Which means I have to get home a bit early. But that's fine. I can do that. Make sure I get there. And there we go. And just in case, you know, the week turns out like this last week did there's also a Thursday game next week February 16th in St. Louis which uh, I don't know I'm going to say yeah the Canucks historically have had some trouble with St. Louis I think if I recall things correctly so no I'm going to Buffalo and 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 Boston I think we have good chances of pulling out points there even though I suggested we lose in Buffalo I think we lose in Pitt, Pittsburgh and, and I'm thinking we lose in St. Louis as well so realistically we only get two points from this road trip. I yeah in my mind. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch it out and say maybe four. Maybe we'll win Boston and Buffalo. That's my that's my outside. So, you know, inside probabilities, just two points in Boston or two points in Buffalo, outside if things go really well, two points in both, and that will get us four points for the week. Anyway, that's my predictions. Now, um, I haven't really got many Twitter followers right now, but I'd like to put out my my announcements for when the podcast goes up on Twitter. So if you're looking for the next podcast and you're wondering when that's going to be, go ahead and sign up as a follower on Twitter. I don't know if you know how that's done or whatever, but if you don't, find an adjacent geek, some someone who knows internet stuff. And <laughs> I could get you on the Twitter, and then when you're on the Twitter, have them track me down and find out where where I am on the Twitters, so then you can get, oh, and 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 get, what you call notifications. So then you'll know that it's time for my next for my next podcast. So it is at Canucks underscore Corner. That's my Twitter handle. My Little thing you search for to see whether or not I'm going to come up. So, and then when you do and you get notifi- notifications or you just go onto Twitter, you'll see when I when I post a new tweet, which you know will tell you okay my new podcast is out. So you can get right to it and be one of the first people to listen to the new Canucks Corner podcast. And then you'll be on the ball. I also have the Facebook as well, and for my Facebook, you just have to type in Canucks Corner and I always use the same graphic that I use for my podcast uh, the Canucks Corner in white in the blue background with the green top and bottom that little logo Uh, so if you see that logo that means you found the right place so both my Twitter and you can look on Facebook as well search for Canucks Corner and you should be able to find it and that's and there you go That's, that's, that's where I am at this point, and until then, I think um, just listen to my usual spiel about where I am, and we'll see you again very soon. This is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore Corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore Corner on Twitter, or email me at CanucksCornerPod at gmail.com That's CanucksCornerPod all one word at gmail.com And until we pod again, thanks for listening and keep your stick on the ice.